Welcome to Nutrition Navigators Podcast, bringing nutrition and wellness to you. We are back with our third season. Welcome back, Wildcats. It's the start of the semester, and we are excited to be bringing you monthly content where we interview health professionals and community members about health and wellness topics. My name is Ashley Monroe. I'm a dietitian here at Campus Health. My pronouns are she, her, and I am one of the co-hosts of the show. I work one-on-one with students at Campus Health, and this is one of our programs uh, sponsored by Campus Health. And it's through us nutrition navigators and the volunteers co-host the episodes with me uh, every month. So today, my co-host is Allie Green. Allie is a nutritional science major with the UA Online, as well as a volunteer with both Nutrition Navigators and Body Positive Arizona, which is our sister program. So we're really excited to bring you today's episode. On today, we're speaking with Megan Niskern. She's a registered dietitian, um, as well as a certified eating disorder uh, specialist. So Megan has committed the past 15 years of her career to learning, educating, and evolving the dietetic space by providing eating disorder support, weight-inclusive nutrition care, and overall healing of food and body dysfunction through mental health, whole person, nutrition therapy approaches. She's the owner of Mac Nutrition Services, which is based in Phoenix, Arizona. She provides therapy for eating disorder struggles, professional supervision. She's also worked at all levels of care, providing nutrition advisory board services to treatment centers, to nutrition and culinary programs. Megan is also a senior lecturer at Arizona State University. She's been teaching since 2014 as a certified eating disorder dietitian and approved supervisor through International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals, also known as IADEP. She is the current past chair for the Behavioral Health uh, Nutrition DPG through the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and currently serves as the ambassador coordinator for the International Federation of Eating Disorder Dietitians, IFED. Megan's strengths, um, amongst other things, are working with complex trauma, long-term eating disorder struggles, along with her passion for providing RD supervision in areas of eating disorder, substance use disorder, and mental health care practices. So as you can tell, Megan is a wealth of knowledge. She's such a fun person to talk to. This was a great conversation. Allie and I asked her all types of questions about this idea of the freshman 15. This is a very timely topic as we come in to uh, this time of year and possibly if you're new to college if you are a first year um, we use you know freshman 15 in air quotes but we're really talking about all of our first year students and really maybe all college students feeling the pressure of needing to conform to that social ideal of um, or avoiding that maybe more common threat that people are telling you around, oh, be careful um, not to gain that quote unquote freshman 15. So we're going to unpack that a little bit with Megan and she gives some really great practical tips. And so I think you're really going to get a lot out of this episode and we're just so excited to be back for another semester and another season. Uh, So without further ado, enjoy the show. Welcome, Megan. We're super excited to chat with you today. To kick things off, can you tell our students who you are and what it is you do professionally? Hello, Allie. I'm so excited to be here today. So my name is Megan Niskern, and I have been a registered dietitian since 2009, but really working in the field of nutrition and healthcare for longer than that. And I teach at Arizona State University, and my specialty is 
I'm not really a go devils. Can I just throw that in there really quickly? I grew up in Tucson. So I am genuinely a wildcat at heart. I don't own any ASU gear. I, I have a, my master's degree from there. My husband went there. My kids want to go there already. And yet I'm a wildcat at heart. So this is really fun for me. And so uh, I started off in the eating disorder field, really at the beginning of my career and spent years working in treatment center environments with substance use, general mental health, and of course, eating disorder as a primary concern. And I had babies and that job became a lot for me in starting a family. So I, I quit reluctantly because I knew this was my passion, even though it's not what I went into the field for. And eventually I went back into teaching and I have really loved it because I am able to bring all the things that I enjoy in my passion of understanding our food dynamics into the education I provide at Arizona State in my classes. Um, I also have a private practice and business that I run called Mac Nutrition Services, where I provide professional uh, supervision. I provide consulting for treatment centers and their programs. And I also do offer one-on-one -on -one nutrition counseling. I've recently brought on two individuals to the team. So we do eating disorders and general MNT care all through a weight inclusive um, lens. And so it's been really, really wonderful to see the evolution of our field, even over the course of my career. And this conversation today about the freshman 15 is essential. Yeah. And I think that it brings it back to what we see both having been people that have gone to college and lived in a body and also working with students and having friends and having friends that have friends that go to go to a four-year institution. So yeah, we really appreciate the topic that Megan's going to chat with us about today. So maybe first off, just to like do some definition, you know, the teachers and us, like, can we talk about what is the quote unquote freshman 15 and why yeah, where did it come from? Or like, what is this, this phenomenon that we put pressure on our first year students coming to, to college? Right, right. There are so many really profound dynamics that happen in that time frame in our lives. So one, we are essentially young adults being expected to take on a really important transition into autonomy, oftentimes living in a new environment, living on our own. That means mom and dad aren't buying the food, prepping the food, cooking the food, making the food available, or whatever support system you may have had um, around those dynamics from the original environment you came to. So the freshman 15 really kind of demonstrates how diet culture, um, that is our desire to constantly be improving ourselves through food and exercise efforts in the name of, you know, air quoting here, health. So that's diet culture influences, and it comes from our fear of change. We as individuals do not love change, right? And so sometimes when we have these big transitions in our lives, change happens, and then we feel a little bit powerless, and we give it a title and a name, and it becomes a social norm, such as the freshman 15. How does that sit? Yeah, I think I just always feel like there's so much change. It's a new environment. All those things you said, there's new pressure. And it just feels like one other thing that folks are forced to be concerned about at a time where, you know, things are really hard and new and scary even, you know? Right. And so one of the things we really want to think about is how stress 
impacts our body and our body's functions. And that's different for different people. And that is really based on our genetic makeup and our lived experience. All of that informs how we handle things. So let's put it into a simple situation. I'm going to ask both of you this just so we can play a game here. So I'll start with Ashley. Ashley, if you are hyper stressed out and overwhelmed, do you have a tendency towards not eating or a tendency towards making sure you're fueled or maybe even turning to food a little bit to comfort and keep you going? Is it weird that it depends on what kind of stress it is? No, it's not. Tell me. Because I do feel like if I have that like stress that is overwhelming and it's making me sad or depressed or it's related to my kid or something like that, and I'm trying to avert my energy to somebody else, then I neglect myself, if that makes sense. If I'm just stressed about my own, my own nonsense with my own self, then I tend to turn to food as a way to avoid something. Like I tend to be like, I am so anxious right now and I don't want to sit with my anxiety. So I will turn to food in those moments. Um, so it depends on what, what's fueling, I guess the fire a little bit for me. Um, but I've like noticed that when I'm like, I am eating right now and it's fine. I'm making this decision and this is how I'm choosing to cope. And I know it's because I am so anxious um, and I don't want to deal with that. Does that make sense to folks? It a hundred percent makes sense. <laughs> and it really sounds like a person who's thought about this yeah. and has awareness, right? And you're connected. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of 18 year olds, let's say 19 year olds, maybe people who don't even come right away, 17 year olds, some people come at 17. Mm -hmm. They're not often as connected to their emotions and how it impacts everything. Right, so right. the tendency is to do one or the other. We're very mm -hmm. kind of like a black or white, one or the other kind of a, a culture. Yeah. Ali, what would you say? What has maybe currently or in the past, maybe been your tendency towards how food, your response to food and stress? Oh, I definitely tend to eat more. Like, I'm just, I think it's, it's like the comfort of like, I'm going to have a really like warm, yummy bowl of whatever are like things that I just know, like it's, it's, and I guess similarly to Ashley, like it's the awareness of like, I'm avoiding this. I feel really anxious. So like right now, like maybe I'll take a bath later. Maybe I'll go on a walk later, but right now, like I want a bowl of like butter noodles and breadsticks. And that's like my mom used to make, or not breadsticks, um, breadcrumbs. My mom used to make like butter noodles and breadcrumbs like when we were sick. So I think there's also that like, yeah, like that feels comforting to me. And it's my go-to. My my fiance is like, oh, are you like having a bad day? Cause he'll see me like, <laughs> I'm like, I just want butter noodles and breadcrumbs. <laughs> and so I think, or like, I'm a good like chocolate chip cookie. So I also know my, my food that I guess like bring me comfort and kind of like allow me to like, this feels really satisfying. This feels really comforting. And when I'm ready, then I'll be like, okay, like I'm really anxious. Like maybe I need to like get up and go on a walk or have some puppy snuggles or, or whatever it is. But I think that like, definitely for me, that stress leads to just needing, needing really like that comforting meal. Absolutely. And <clears throat> other times people feel emotions in a space of I'm nauseous. Everything is in my stomach right now. I can't touch food. Food can't be my thing. So if we even just take that basic concept and apply it to transitioning to a new environment, new people, new learning, new living, new food, 
new food dynamics, we have to expect that the body might have a response to this. And so when we really look at kind of what contributes to this idea of the freshman 15, we can't just say, oh, kids go to college and they eat more and they work out less and they consume alcohol and high. That is a very, very insulting and oversimplifying way of like looking at this. And we know that stress is going to be high. So let's stress them out more by telling them how they're going to be undesirable and unattractive and have some sort of a failure before they've even gotten started. It's just so diet culture-y, you know, that's the only cult, 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 you know, I just, (laughs) (laughs) I could have a whole podcast on on cult tendencies, but you know, it really, it comes down to that. Yeah, it does. And I think too, then you, we hear from students too, that first semester, you know, that fear is implanted in our first year students. And then that first semester happens and then they have to go home possibly for the holidays and see folks or see people that from high school or whatever. And it kind of has this whole new stress of my body has changed and now I have to go see people. And how do I cope with that change of my body that probably from like what we're talking about sounds really natural and maybe developmental and just a circumstance of environment and not anyone's fault, I guess, not that it's bad for bodies to change. I think we maybe don't tell folks enough that body change is normal and that body change happens naturally and it will continue to change through your lifetime. I'm 42. Uh, oh, sorry. I was just to say I'm 42 and I'm, I think I'm in my like sixth or seventh body that I like feel like I've like settled into having had two babies and mm-hmm. having lived through pandemics. And I mean, you name it, I can give you a hundred reasons why my body mm-hmm. has changed. And we have to be again, really cautious about what those reasons are and where we are going to assign some sort of a blame. Right. Sorry, Allie, what were you going to say? Um, well, and I just, I'm kind of thinking back to like my own time at U of A on campus. Like, I mean, this was a long time ago now, um, but the access piece too, like I remember like being in the dorms and I was in Greek life. So like I got some meals at the house, which was nice, but like U of A in particular, like there isn't the dining hall, like you have really limited options and you don't have a, a stove, you don't, you know, you have a mini fridge and some options and most of us didn't have a car. And so like that access piece too, I think obviously it's different in different campuses, but I just remember like going in, living in the dorms, like being grateful for like my one meal at the house, but then also feeling very like restricted in that sense too, because of the limited options. And then the financial concern of like, I'm that feeling of like, I'm spending money on every single meal that I'm eating, which I guess you are always, but versus like when I lived at home, like we got groceries once a week and we made the food. And that was like a really big change for me in terms of like the financial piece, the access piece and feeling really restricted in that way. So I remember when I would go to the sorority house to have like lunch or dinner, I felt like that was like my one meal for the day. And and that felt really, I guess, for lack of a better term, like very restrictive. And I know different, different campuses are different in that way, but I think Arizona in particular, like that, that limitation piece was really a big shift for me. Absolutely. I think that there's two ways to sort of look at the idea of 
what a body can go through in a time period, right? So if we were to look at it like, yes, if you came home halfway through the, the school year at that holiday semester break, and there was a clear weight change, meaning gain or weight loss, we want to make sure we don't praise or or shame. We want to go into it with, hey, how is school going? Are you happy? Are things good? Are, are you, how are you doing? It's not, I notice your body. It's, this could be one sign or one cry for help in one particular way. And then on the other side of that is figuring things out. So, you know, let's say it's a less dramatic, less obvious, but more uncomfortable in our physical appearance. And maybe we do need to get some new clothes or maybe some things don't fit quite the same, or we feel more uncomfortable in our body. There's so much that goes into that. So I love Ali, what you're talking about with access. What is your knowledge base? Even if you had a kitchen, how equipped would you be to use that kitchen and actually make food that you feel like you want to eat? I mean, I know lots of kids going into, I say kids only from a place of full, like I call my college students, my kids, um, but it's just from a place of like love. Uh, and so what I, I see kids that are like, I can't make pasta. And then you're like, you know, even your buttered noodles have <laughs> limitations there when we're looking for comfort food. And there are some basics, you know, that would be really important to look at, but we don't teach home ec. We don't teach woodwork. We don't teach balancing a checkbook. We don't teach taxes. We don't teach credit cards and interest rates. These are all things we force people to figure out on their own. So we've got the food piece. And that's really important. Then we have the movement piece. We have lots of people that go from sports, super regimented activities to, yes, you're on campus, you're walking more, you're, you're probably not going to have a car. I think like most college campuses don't even allow freshmen to have cars, right? And so um, that happens, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're as active or active to the degree and the level that you were in the past, which is okay. Sleep. I think it's really important to talk about sleep here too. When we talk about stress and food and body changes, we don't sleep the same in college. We're like on a slumber party with all of our friends for the first time. And so now we're up late, we're with people more. Um, we're learning to live with people as well in close environments. Our sleep is a mess and that impacts our appetite, our food cravings, our fueling needs. Do you just see where this is going? It's like, give people a year to figure it out without worrying about the fact that their body might change. It will probably also moderate itself into an, a more adult-like state as they go through their college experience. But we, we really do place a lot of blame on like junk food, overeating, you know, I'm air quoting here. Again, alcohol consumption can be another thing to be on the lookout for, even when it comes to weight loss or weight gain, right? Um, and that can be something that gets out of control in a more free environment for some individuals. But it's not just one thing. And it's not someone's fault or that they've done anything wrong. It's really a more normal part of just how we've set up our culture for growing up and going to school. <laughs> you know, it's just, it just is what it is. We really do kind of send kids off with not quite as much preparation in some of those caring for themselves type situations as we think we do as a society. It's that like pull up your bootstraps discussion, which is, yeah. And I love the part of it's no one's fault because it's almost like if you would, if we approached this season of life, if you will, with 
compassion and like skill building and tool building and just asking more questions instead of blaming. Like I loved your point about when folks go home coming from like, how is school going? What has been great? What has been hard instead of, oh, you look like you've, you look like your body, like drawing attention to the body as well. Why do you think people care? Why do you even think as, because it's like, sounds like an American and Canadian thing that we even label this, this kind of quote unquote freshman 15 phenomenon or pressure builder. Why do we even care? It really comes back to our societal norms are very narrow and we expect ourselves. This is, this is what we put on ourselves because we want to fit in. We expect ourselves to fit into those narrow categories. And so if we have comfort with something, we don't want to disrupt that comfort. We don't want to be put into a new category. We recognize that people in larger bodies in our society are not treated well. And there is an immediate fear and hesitation to have your body change in any way that will put a target on your back. And I think that that is where so, 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 so much can be learned because the shaming of an individual doesn't create great change. In fact, it creates more pain and oftentimes leads to more undesirable and unhealthy behaviors to cope. So when we come to people with more curiosity, compassion, and concern, then they can really live in a life where they don't feel as judged and stressed. And as I've mentioned before, stress impacts all of our bodies in different ways. We don't get to decide that necessarily. So this comes from our own societal pressures of keeping up the standardized norm that our bodies aren't allowed to change our first year of college or that our bodies aren't allowed to change at all. I do feel like I was sold a bill of goods, like, oh, you're going to become an adult. And then like, that's your body. Like, no. And I do, I have a mom who has, you know, very borderline orthorexic tendencies, who's very much been in that same body your whole life. And I've watched her torturously maintain it. And, you know, I, we, we have to open up this idea that the world we live in now is not as stable, is not as um, clear cut is not as mm, safe as an environment that we hoped to create. And so we need to do the best that we can for ourselves to create confidence, to garner support, to do the things that we know are best. And again, to be cautious in how we judge and make assumptions about others and what they're experiencing. It's a bigger picker, picture issue, as you can see here, but it's also a really good demonstration of where we can start letting go very easily in our culture with some of these things like the freshman 15. It's like, really, who cares? If you're a student, if you're a student and a friend has been making negative comments about themselves, is kind of concerned about that freshman 15, again, using air quotes, how, how do we navigate this? Like, what would you tell a student who's kind of navigating um, a friend who's dealing with this too? I love that. There's two things I think of, um, two I guess, situations that I think of one is a, maybe a friend who's constantly making comments about themselves, right? In that situation you're kind of talking about there. Oh, I'm getting so much weight. Oh, I look horrible. Oh, oh my, none of my clothes are fitting. Oh, oh, oh. I would always just offer a compassionate ear. Don't fix it. You're not fixing it for them. Don't say things like, oh, you're not fat. Oh, you're not gaining weight. You don't get to decide that just like they don't get to decide that necessarily. So instead it's, 
oh, I do not love hearing you say negative things about yourself. Oh, I'm hearing you being really uncomfortable. What's going on? Oh, what can we do? Because you being negative to yourself all the time is probably not going to help you feel any better. Right. So I think being supportive, compassionate, and not, we tend in our society to be like, oh, you're not. This is the most common one when someone's like, oh, I'm feeling so fat. Oh, you're not fat. Okay. First of all, you can't feel fat. And second of all, there's nothing wrong with fat. It's just a descriptive term. People will, that fatness exists for a reason and a purpose. And so we, we want to like fix the fat problem. And instead it's like, that's not a problem. We don't, you, I love you. Do we need to go get some new clothes? Let's sell some stuff and I'll go with you. What, what can we do to support right now? You know, I love you no matter what is going on with your body. Do you, it, we can really navigate away from that fear, appearance focus and get to like what's really going on for that person because it's usually something bigger. Does that feel applicable? Like, does that feel like something that would be easy to do? Yeah. Well, and I think it's such a like, I like how you said, like, don't fix it. I think in so many situations, like I know for me, like it's that like auto place is coming from, like, I need to fix this. This is uncomfortable for me to hear you feeling bad. And so I need to have solutions as a friend. And I think sometimes like, A, like that person's not even asking for a solution. They're just asking to be heard. And so I think like, I've really, even in my own relationships tried to say like, okay, how can I support you? Like what, just leaving that door open of like, what support do you need from me as your friend, as your partner, as your sister? Um, And I think sometimes like that also forces the person who's feeling uncomfortable to kind of do a little self-check and say like, yeah, actually like, what am I looking for as I'm saying this out loud? So it's, it's both like self-reflective and also like offering, just holding space, I think for that person. You become also a person that they know they can maybe be more honest and more open with, and it can really create a really, a more authentic space to exist in rather than the standard normalized ways that we talk to each other. I had a client this week who was hanging out with her friends and she's like, I just don't know how to respond at the end of dinner when they're all like, oh, I'm stuffed, I'm so full. And I'm just thinking, why are you saying, like, just why do you have to, now I'm worried, am I too full? And you know, she's really strong in her eating She's like, why are we talking like that? And she's like, I don't know how to say it. And so the other piece I wanted to offer is we need to catch ourselves we've heard our moms, our aunts, our, maybe our dads, our grandmothers, we are growing up in generation upon generation upon generation of body negativity, body talking, body perfectionism. And again, I say that from my own generational experiences in my family dynamics. And so we need to start breaking that pattern by catching our talk and how we're doing things and doing our best to not be saying that out loud. And in fact, catching our negative thoughts before we say them out loud and think, why am I telling myself this? Is this accurate? And is this even helpful? And we can be better advocates for our health than what we think is advocating for our health, which is diets, right? That is not advocating for our health. That is a bajillion dollar industry that is distracting us from doing other productive things with our lives and fixating on a problem that would be much less of a problem if we stopped telling everyone how much they sucked. And instead we start telling ourselves why we care about ourselves, why we have value. And we garner and hone what we like about that. We choose foods we like, 
We stop eating when we feel content. We don't restrict ourselves and limit ourselves. And sometimes our body goes through a change. I've never been through a pandemic before. I don't know what's going to happen at the end of that road. If you've never gone to college before, you don't know what that experience is going to entail. And so go in curious, go in open and go in not ready to tell yourself you're going to fail at something. That is what's going to be really helpful in allowing kind of putting yourself out there for the best that could potentially come and gaining a little bit of weight because you had to make some adjustments doesn't impact your experience in any negative way. I love that. And the, my like follow-up question was to ask you about like takeaways or things students could do to cope with their body changing. But I feel like you're kind of alluding to like, or outright naming, you know, not being overly concerned that it will and just kind of coming in or leaning into that it probably will <laughs> and that that's okay and that there's nothing wrong with that and to allow yourself to build skills and become confident in your new environment without the pressure, alleviating some of that pressure, um, which I think unfortunately sometimes comes from other people, not only just the media, but I know certain people get directly told from maybe family members or other well-meaning people to be careful or I mean whatever language they use but it's usually not helpful but like beware or the media does it too but I think it's even harder to hear when our own like trusted adults in our lives do it oh, it's so much worse but here's the thing about that Ashley that's so interesting is in fact the people who we're closest to tend to be the ones that are more likely to offer us feedback that's more shaming. It's out of a place of love and it's out of a place of health concern and it's out of a place of, again, missed opportunities for learning generationally speaking yeah. because parents and, and family and friends come from a place of not wanting you to be in pain and they believe that they're helping you by not letting you get into the wrong body right well wait a minute I that's how I avoid pain my whole life I don't think so so it's it is really difficult especially when the people closest to you are committed and connected to that idea my suggestion is to demonstrate to them that you're going to be confident and comfortable no matter what. And so I appreciate you worrying about me, but that's not the type of way I need you to worry about me. Right. Maybe. Right. Um, and that can be a nice way to kind of say like, I don't need you to worry about how I feel about my appearance because I'm working on that every day on my own without a little bit of side shame that I can right. do better or <laughs> don't let it go, you know? Well, there's so many other risky behaviors that you can oh. engage in. And so if the pressure is on this one thing and you're just willing to utilize these risky behaviors to achieve that one thing, I think as someone who, you know, tries to help our, our campus community, it stresses me out <laughs> to know like, oh, they're just not going to eat to be able to achieve this, or they're going to engage in alcohol in a really risky way. And, and that's, I think, what sometimes comes back to that like harm reduction piece that makes me a little nervous. I, I completely agree. Yeah. The more open we can be, the more that we can be a safe environment for people to come to in the sense that they're not going to immediately be judged. They're not going to immediately be told they have to fix it. People need time to come to a place of asking for support and then being willing to make some changes because again, we don't like change. Yeah. So the freshman 15 in the context of what it is feels like it's happening at us 
and as if we have no control. Mm. So if you want to have some control, here's some things to think about. Are you eating regularly? Are you fueling throughout the day? Are you hydrating? Are you sleeping in normal ways, in normal amounts, <laughs> with quiet and peacefulness? And, you know, not four hours here and four hours there and two hours here. You know, like, how are you taking care of all of that? So there are not just food related. Are you moving your body? Are you taking some time alone for yourself? Um, you know, there's so much more to do and to be aware of so that you are fully in control of this experience as best you can be. And you're not wasting your time worrying about and focusing on and further stressing about things that maybe just don't need to be worried about and looked at and stressed right now. That's such a good reminder that it's not just about like food and movement. And I think we tend to focus on that because as a society, I feel like we really believe that people have control of that. And so, and it's up to them and, and we forget about all the other things that promote wellness, if that's in fact what folks are looking for even. So I think those are like great, really specific things that students can access daily or at least, you know, aim to access and experiment with as they kind of run through the semester, um, understanding that like beginning and end of semester sometimes look a little different. And I was talking to a client the other day and we were kind of just talking about having compassion that there are parts of the semester that are really stressful. And so almost like understanding that and welcoming that a little bit and figuring out, okay, how am I going to do my best to take care of myself in those moments instead of trying to stay quote unquote perfect all semester long. And again, that kind of pressure that we put on ourselves and that society maybe adds to. Well, and I think too, like just this idea that like, goes like from what we're talking about like it goes back to like health is this like moral obligation and like when we think about and it only being food and body versus like when we look at if if health is even something that you value if number one but then number two like okay yeah like you're sleeping in a dorm probably with another person who's on a completely opposite schedule than you are. And, you know, your class schedule is all funky and you have a random day off on Wednesday that you're going to take a four hour nap. So these things that like don't necessarily even equate to air quotes again, like health on this more holistic standpoint. And then the second piece of that is like, if that's even something that you value individually versus mom and grandma sitting here being like this, this weird bonding of like, well, you know, if you're, you're happy or if you're healthy, then you're doing X, Y, and Z. And, and this like collective bond that we have over disliking the way that we present ourselves, you know, I want to <laughs> break that cycle more than I can ever explain to you, Allie, my 90, almost 90 year old grandma. I am just like, can we please finish your life without you being invested in weight loss, please? You know, it's, it's hard. It's very hard. And that's why we don't need to put this on our freshmen. Agreed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to send these to Megan, but I was going to let, we're going to ask some end of podcast questions in a moment. So I forgot to send to, them to you, Megan, okay. but there's just three rapid fire. I can do pretty them. simple. Um, but before we do that, is there anything that we didn't ask 
or that you wanted to share with our student U of A community um, about today's topic, uh, yeah, that we didn't already kind of cover. Already. I'm so glad. I mean, I really want people to have takeaways and I really want to emphasize, I guess, is that the level of stress and the more you worry about something that isn't a hundred percent directly in your control, the more you create a, a cognitive dissonance, a divide between where you want to be and where you actually are. And that is an unnecessary fight for you to have with yourself. I know you hear it and you know, it's all around us. But if you're doing your very best, you know, again, it's things like don't just eat one giant meal at two o'clock in the afternoon. And again, don't get three hours of sleep. Can you make these small changes? And we think that's survival and we think we're just doing our best. These are the these are the easy ways you come back to just come back to the basics, come back to the basics. Don't get overly complicated. Don't cut out food groups. Don't go on some keto or paleo or intermittent fasting. Just fuel your body regularly. And then if you do, always feel free to reach out for a little bit of support. I think check-ins can be really important. You don't have to see a professional forever to do a couple of check-ins here and there too. Um, and you may want to do that at the beginning of the semester and the end of the semester. I think of dietitians a little bit like dentists. Yes, sometimes people need to be there all the time getting lots of work done. But sometimes a couple of good check-ins can really help to make you connect with your dynamics around how you feel about food and get some good solid information because there is so much out there. And I'm going to tell you 93% of it is not helpful. I am going to stick with a 93% on that. I support that percentage choice. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, this discussion of like, we're dentists. Like, I think that feels really accurate. And what? Why My dentist stalks me twice a year to come in <laughs> and I hate being there. Why don't dietitians, why aren't we seen twice a year to check yeah. in on how you feeling about your body? How you feeling about food? Yeah. Dang new diet came out. What can I answer for you? Like, yeah. like, let's just touch base. Any medical concerns? Did any health things come up? Do you need any new recipe ideas? Like mm -hmm. this would be amazing. That's okay. really good. And it reminds me of like, we're thinking, um, we're probably going to do it, but I don't have like a ton of details, but rolling out drop-ins with the dietitian at one of our new locations here on campus at Bear Down. And what a great opportunity. It's like, come in, it's a quick check-in. Um, they're going to be free, which is also going to be really nice. So I think that kind of speaks to what the model you're talking about. A little bit of a tune-up or a little bit of a check-in, a little review of what you're doing and maybe kind of coming back to the basics. Like you're saying, I think that's a really good takeaway. Like come back to the basics. Don't try to overhaul it just, you know, small, sustainable things. Yeah. I Get good that. sleep. Um, do we want to do our, our rapid fire questions? Let's okay. do it. Okay. Megan, if you could only eat three foods ever again, what would they be? All right. That's tough. Okay. I'm going to start for sure with pizza, like a good old, you know, just like basic pizza for sure. I do also love a very comprehensive salad. I think that like with all the things in it, it it's maybe one of my most favorite foods. And then, oh gosh, the last one has to be something sweet, but is it chocolate or is it ice cream? I think it's ice cream. I mean, look where I just went. I literally pizza ice cream in a salad. Yeah. I mean, that's, you just made dinner, really. I did. <laughs> yeah. And I would be happy with it. Amazing. And I do love the call into like salads that don't suck that like have like a lot of ingredients in them. And 
we have a famous one up here in Phoenix. It's called the OMFG salad. It started at a restaurant called Cowboy Chow. Oh, um, yeah. But now it's at the Gladly because Cowboy Chow closed down. And the, the chef is over at the Gladly. Mm. And I get it. It's like 10 minutes from my house. I get it at least once a week. I'll have to remember that when I go up there. I feel like I've been to the Gladly. Um, breakfast or dinner for you, Megan? Oh, it's breakfast all the time, except for if I get to go alone to a dinner with my husband. It's a good, good, yeah. good little caveat. Yeah. Perfect. Um, Ashley, do you want to ask the last one? Sure. So if you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Oh my goodness. Okay. This is a really good one. I would for sure have some sort of a housewife there because I'm pretty Bravo liberty obsessed. So if I had, it used to be Bethany Frankel, she's bothering me a lot now, but it would probably be like a New York housewife or an, an OC OG housewife. Mm. Someone from there I would have to bring. Um, oh my gosh, this is so fun. I would probably a sports figure as well I would probably okay. want to bring in like oh I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is it but I'm a big Green Bay Packers fan so like maybe someone fun oh like Jordy Nelson maybe like a receiver off the Packers I mean I'm gonna have a very weird dinner here I like um it. and then Chris Hemsworth just because I would stare at him the entire time you got people for conversation and maybe a little spiciness you've got some interesting you know, stories. And then you have some eye candy. I, like I mean, it. Chris Hemsworth is also very funny and, and does lots of things, but I just would, if I could have anything, Chris Hemsworth. And you'll have pizza, a salad that does a salad and ice cream. Ice cream. It'll it. be amazing. Yeah. Sounds amazing. I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy schedule and all the work you do in all of the spaces that you impact. And I just appreciate you lending your expertise to our students and talking about like a sticky topic that I think has a lot of layers to it. So I felt like that this is just going to be such a great takeaway for students to have some tangible things that they can work on and have some self-reflection with. So I just really appreciate you you doing this for us today, Megan. We We really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I'm beyond thrilled to be here. You guys are amazing. Please keep up all the work you're doing. Universities don't offer a good deal of education and support in these spaces. And our college age students are the ones that are really at such a high risk point. Um, and so I'm so grateful for all that you guys are doing. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And please share with your friends and connect with us on all our campus social, social channels. And feel free to email Nutrition Navigators directly if you have questions or comments about the show to chs-nutritionnavigators at arizona.edu. And you can also um, message us through all of our social media channels if you have comments about the show. Um, we're bringing you some interesting content this year. It's always hope hoping to spark curiosity and further empower you to feel your best and really start to define for yourself what you view to be as wellness. We're a sponsored by Campus Health and our program in health promotion and preventive services. And we really want to thank Megan so much for her time and coming on the show today, taking the time to talk with us about this topic. Uh, it's a tricky topic. It's a commonly thrown around topic. 
And we just appreciate her expertise and her time and all she does to serve uh, college communities and just the eating disorder community as a whole. So thank you, Megan. We appreciate you. And we'll be back next month with another episode. But until until then, until next time, be well, Wildcats.